Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Hey, are you a leader who's also a parent? And have you considered, how the heck do I boost my leadership expertise? Well, maybe you don't need to look any further than your experience as a parent. So if that's what you're looking for, this is the episode for you. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help you create a life worth living in your faith, family, and career. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and this episode, we're going to be joined by Valerie Cockrell. She has worked a long career in retail management with a company called the Walt Disney Company. You may have heard of them. So she's been in parks like Epcot, as well as Disneyland Paris, and uh, even was a facilitator for the Disney Institute. Well, she's coming out with a book called Manage Like a Mother, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom. And she is sharing with us those aha moments from her experience as a mother and how that helped her grow in her leadership style. And what are the parallels that we have between parenting as well as leading? There are some similarities. There are some differences. And we're going to talk about those lessons that stood out to me after I read an advanced copy of her book, Manage Like a Mother. So whether you're a father, whether you're a mother, whether you have no kids, maybe you have fur babies, you know, pets, uh, whatever the case may be, if you're in a leadership role, sit back, relax, grab a notebook and a pen, because here we go. All right. Hey, Valerie, thanks for joining me. How are you doing this morning? I am doing wonderful. Thank you for having me and happy Monday, everybody. I don't know if, uh, if this may not be broadcasted on a Monday, but hey, it doesn't matter. Happy Monday regardless. There we go. Every day could be a Monday if you look at it the right way. Uh, unless you don't right. like Mondays, then that's something you got to change too, right? <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. I tend to look at Mondays as like it's a new beginning. You know, it's, it's new week. Whatever was last week, no matter how hard, how triumphant, new week, I get to do some new things. Uh, and then I'm like, let's go. And uh, I, I usually find that on Monday we – you know, I'm, I'm rested, I'm ready, I'm prepared. Now, things change quite a bit as we move along the week. And, and Friday, I'm looking forward to Friday, but Friday always brings a lot of scrambling just to finish up everything I was supposed to do that week. So, so mom builds a good day for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I look at it the same way, I think. Uh, well, similarly, I should say. Uh, now, I... I got to meet you through, well, Jody Mayberry, who has introduced me to Lee Cockrell, uh, somebody you might know named Dan Cockrell, uh, now you, and I think if we keep this trend up, uh, all three of your kids are adults now, and as their careers grow, we might get the whole Cockrell family in here. So, <laughs> We are everywhere, and you can't get rid of us. You know, There's always, there's always another Cockrell to uh, there you go. Will, So we have three kids, so beware. There you go. They are out there. They are doing great things, folks. So you will hear about them. If not now, now, well, I guess now, because we're going to talk about them a little bit. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're just budding out and starting their new stuff now. So that's really cool to see. Uh, so you do have three kids. There's a uh, Julian, uh, Margo in the middle and Tristan is the youngest. Is that right? Yes, right. that's right. And we, we scattered all over, uh, I should say the world because we have Julian in Boston, Margot in Denver, not too far away from us because we live uh, right outside Boulder. 
Colorado, and uh, the youngest is uh, finishing his studies in France in Lyon, which happens to be my hometown. Oh, wow. And I thought that was really cool. I used to work for a, a company called Christus Health, uh, which is a Catholic faith-based organization in Texas. They got their start in 1863. So short history lesson, guys, and I'll get back on topic, I promise. Um so the Bishop of Texas at the time, Claude Marie Dubuis, uh, wrote a bunch of places saying, Hey, we need healthcare here in Texas. Uh, we need nurses. Uh, of course, we're doing this Catholic style. So we need sisters to come on over and start the congregation. They'll start the hospital. And, uh, three sisters got on a ship, sailed to the U.S., speaking zero English, zero Spanish. I think one of them died almost immediately when they landed from, I think, cholera or dysentery. Uh, and they came from a town called Lyon, France. Uh, and they started. Yeah. <laughs> so Lyon, France has some big historical impact in the state of Texas going back to the 1860s, uh, starting essentially uh, one of the biggest healthcare organizations, at, at least Catholic healthcare in Texas. You know, their, their story reminds me a little bit of my story because I, I moved to London when I was uh, just over 16. Yeah. And I spoke five words of English. I could say, <laughs> my name is Valérie, I'm French. And that was it. And I I knew when I was young that I wanted to travel the world. I was really curious about the world. And I knew that if I wanted to travel the world, I had to learn English. So when I graduated from high school, I was fortunate to graduate early and I decided I need to go and live in London. So I applied to be an au pair in London for a family. And that's how I ended up uh, learning. I was there for 18 months, learned English, and then went back to France to finish my studies. And and that was, I tell you, the decision that set my entire career and, and really decided and, and steered my, my uh, life in a whole new direction I did not expect. Yeah. Talk about a leap of faith, too, because you applied to be an au pair in a country you spoke five words of the language. And uh, what did that do to boost your learning of the language, though, that the, the immerse oh, like that? that? That was incredible. But I tell you, I remember being you know, really confident about myself and telling my parents, I'm going to apply, I'm going to be an au pair, I'm going to learn English, which my parents were supportive of. Uh, but then they put me in the train. At the time, you, know, you would take the train in the overcraft to, to London across the channel. And, you know, I was acting up like a big girl, very confident. And as soon as the train left the station, I just started crying, thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, things worked out for me. It was great, a great experience. I learned English, but also I learned about life, about being independent and figuring, figuring things out. And I've always told my kids, I said, you know, at some point in your life, it's important you do that. Go and face the elements, right? Go and and try out things. And even if it feels like a failure, eventually down the line, you will look back and extract and all the lessons that you've learned. So it's never really a failure. It's either a great opportunity or it's a good life lesson. And that's what that was for me. So it was a great way, I think, to stop my life and my career. And it's, it's just a great way to, to really lay down that foundation of how to live life too, I think. Yeah. You make that decision at a young age. Is it Henry David Thoreau, America's first hippie, who had said, you, you gotta march to the beat of your own drummer. And if you really want to expand and grow as a person, you gotta get away from all the things that hold you back. Like all the things that keep you in normal or yeah, the the status yeah, quo. We, we, learn the, we learn most when when we are uncomfortable. That's you know, that's the reality of life. 
And it, it ain't not pleasant, but after the fact, you realize, you know, how valuable it is and how much, how many insights you've been able to, uh, to extract and how much you've learned about yourself. Not, and, and it also boosts your self-confidence. And I think as a young adult, for me, that was really important. Yeah. Oh, huge. Yeah. Um, I remember taking off for the army of all places uh, after I graduated college. But I mean, part of that was I wanted to travel the world. I was flat broke and I needed to get some medical experience if I wanted to become a doctor. This is before I realized I did not want to be a doctor. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I joined the army, I enlisted, and I found myself in Germany uh, right around the time. I just missed Oktoberfest when I got there. And then I well, deployed, missed Oktoberfest again. <laughs> and then 9-11 happened and I wasn't getting a chance to go to Oktoberfest. Um but uh, you know, fast forwarding for you, though, just a, quite a few years. So uh, you, you took this leap of faith when you were around 16, 17 years old. Uh, now you fast forward quite a few years, uh, starting your motherhood journey, uh, which I think began technically sort of in a laundromat. <laughs> um, yeah. And so tell us about that. I, I said it that way specifically for the guys listening in, because if you were starting to tone out, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> she did what? <laughs> uh, it, it's not that kind of show, guys. But uh, Valerie, yeah. what happened in a laundromat that started this journey towards motherhood? <laughs> well, to to uh, tie it back to what we were saying, the fact that I spoke English um, landed me a job with Disney, and uh, which has been obviously you know, a big part of the, the corporal family life. Uh, and um, so I first worked for Disney because my English was so good. I, I worked for Disney in 1987-88. Uh, I had a one-year visa. I came to the U.S., worked in Orlando at the French Fabian at Epcot. Oh, yeah. And then and then went back to France, worked for a bank for a while. Uh, little did I know that that Disney experience would, again, bring a whole new um, set of opportunities for me. So one day while I was working at the bank, I got a phone call from Disney. They said, we are going to open a park in Paris in 92. We'd like to uh, hire you because you understand not only you speak English, you understand American culture and you understand the Disney culture. So it took me literally three seconds to say, sure, I, I will. What do I have to, where do I have to sign? What do I have to do? And they said, well, one of the things you have to do is you have to go back to Orlando and train for six months. So twist my arm, right? And you're, you're a young French woman and you're being told uh, that you got to go and live in Florida for six months. It's like, sure, you know, no hesitation there. So when I went there, I started training. Uh, my background was in retail with Disney. So I uh, started working in, in, in um, training in uh, retail, sorry, um, for Disney over there. And one day we were living in this apartment complex that's, uh, Linda, where, where Disney puts up the internationals. And I went to do my laundry downstairs and I met this guy who was also doing this his laundry. And we started, you know, we were all sorting our, our dirty socks and stuff. And we started chatting and a uh, nice guy. And then uh, one thing led to another. And uh, we we bumped into each other a couple more times after that and started dating. And, and the rest is history. And we've been married 30 years. And his name is Dan Cockrell. And he's had also a great career with Disney. So... A chance happening over, you know, doing uh, uh, doing my chores, you know, uh, doing my laundry. Uh, that was kind of fun. And we both went back. He actually, Dan was part of the opening um, task force for Disneyland Paris. So we both went back to France. I went back in late 91. He came in early 92. Um, 
we kept dating and eventually his visa was expiring. We would have gotten married regardless, but that kind of made the engagement. We had a five weeks engagement. So we got married real quickly to, uh, to solve the, the visa situation. We opened the park in 92. And then our oldest son, Julian, was born in Paris in 93. We ended up living in Paris and working at Disneyland over there for five years until 97 when we relocated back toward Disney World in Florida. So, yeah, you never know. When you go do your laundry, you never know what's going to happen. That's where sometimes you meet Prince Charming. <laughs> so, folks, if you're, like, using those dating apps and you're getting zero luck, just get your dirty laundry together, go to a laundromat. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, have a conversation with the person. I mean, that's what you did with Dan was he started talking and you realized, hey, this guy's pretty cool. And then you met some more and then did some dating and then, yeah, 30, 30 plus years later. Um, full family, great legacy coming together. And, and that's just been amazing. Uh, so from this meeting with you and Dan and a marriage, uh, you already mentioned Julian, the oldest, uh, and then Margot and Tristan come along. Uh, now every parent's going to laugh when I ask this question because I also know the answer. Uh, are all three kids exactly the same? <laughs> Not at all. It, and you know, you have one and you learn on the job, like, like most, uh, like every single parent, I guess. And then the second one comes around and you feel really confident and really good about yourself, only to realize that that second child does not respond to the same thing, has an entirely different set of needs, and you need to approach parenting in a whole different way. And then the third one comes around and yet again, it has a totally different personality and I would assume, you know, we stopped at three, but I would assume that we could have had six or 10 kids. They all would have been very different. Uh, and that's the beauty of parenting. That's also the challenge of parenting is having to adapt to, to your children and to their different expectations. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Yeah. And, and one of the lessons that you mentioned in your book, Manage Like a Mother, uh, and folks, if you hadn't gotten a copy of it, uh, go get one now. Uh, it's, it's Manage Like a Mother, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom. And, and the reason why we brought this up is... As a leader, our employees are also not identical. And I'm not saying that your employees are children. That That's one of my biggest pet peeves is when a leader calls their employees children. It's, it's almost derogatory. But the parallel you make is that everybody has a different style. Everybody has a different personality. And um, how had you seen that motherhood experience transfer over into leadership I, I, around this theme? Well, I think for me, the... The most obvious one was when I started thinking about training and I realized how differently my children learned. Uh, in the book, I, I give the example of how they learned how to ride their bikes. And in Juliana, we, we devised a, a technique where 
you know, we removed the training wheels and he started, uh, he was really tight. So he would, to relax a little bit, he realized if he, and I don't know if I came up with it or he did himself, he would start singing and that would give him the confidence and he would be so focused on the lyrics or whatever he was singing that he would relax and, and that helped him manage to learn how to, to ride his bike without training wheels. Uh, Margot was screaming. She just had to scream the whole time. I had to be behind her and pretend I was holding her. And that was enough to give her the confidence to to uh, bike and, and to ride straight. And then Tristan was, he literally uh, decided, I don't want to learn without the training wheels. So he refused to get on the bike. And then one day by himself got on it and took off. And I never understood why, how the child managed to learn that. But my point is here, you know, with that, just that one little example, I realized how, you know, they're all on a different pace. They learn at a different, in a different way. And there's another similarity that I think is something that leaders need to think about. Um, think about when you teach a child how to walk, what is happening there? You you hold the hand until the baby has the balance and the confidence to walk by himself or herself. And then you let go of the hand and the baby's going to fall on his on his rear end, right? So what's going to happen at this point in time? A mom is not going to say, look, honey, you're a year old. You should be walking by now. What is wrong with you, right? Mom will say, good job. Well done. Let's try that again. And and she will comfort the baby if need be. But And then she will hold the baby's hand again until he has the balance and the confidence to walk by himself. So when you think about training, you know, you need to think about all of that. You need to be there for support. You need to make sure that you you it's okay to make mistakes, and therefore you need to make that um, very clear with your with your new hires. Uh, you need to support them, encourage them. You need to be there for for questions. You need to extend the trading period if need be, because some you know much like some kids uh, ride a bike at uh, four years old, others will wait until they're six. So it's the same in training. Some people will learn something in. In a day, some will need two or three days. And and there is this positive, encouraging thing uh, that parents do, mothers do with their kids. So take all that learning and bring it to the workplace and think about this when you put together a training program. Adapt to their needs and their personalities. Yeah, I love that because you're uh... – you're not, you're not saying great leadership is I could do it one way and it's applicable to everybody. I know we talk a lot about systems and how systems are important in business. Yet when it comes to leadership, we're talking about people now and, and the the vast diversity that comes from that. And uh, I remember talking with Lee Cockrell about the three E's and exposure was one of the three E's where the more you can expose yourself to all the differences out there, the better of a leader you can be because now you're equipped to to handle those differences. And, and it sounds like motherhood in a way gave you also that, that aha moment of, wait, each three of these kids is different from the other, like Tristan, the no way I'm not training without training wheels to Mr. Parkour, you know, <laughs> like jumping off of buildings and stuff. Um, somewhere in there, he got his confidence, but you had to meet him where he was. And the same thing with leadership, being able to recognize where your people are, what's that difference between where they are and where they need to be. And then how do you get them there? How do you lead them there? How do you uh, help set the stage for them to get there on their own? And and I love that, that you brought those things up. Um, it's very different from the do it my way or the highway kind of leadership. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is this is one of many similarities between 
you know, raising kids and, and leading a team, um, not only adapting to them, but also, you know, it's a long-term commitment. Uh, it requires of you to be flexible. It requires of you to learn on the job because there is not a perfect book anywhere, you know, the, the what to expect when you're expecting, okay, this is great, but, you know, it only gets you half the way there. At the end of the day, much of what you're going to do as a leader or what you're going to do as a mother uh, or as a parent is you're going to have to figure it out on your own and you learn on the job. There, there is not a Bible anywhere that tells you this is if this scenario happens, this is what you need to do. It doesn't exist. There's always something new, something that catches you and, and by surprise and you have to react to. So that that's to me, the more I thought about the, the relationship or the analogy between raising children and being a leader, I thought, you know what, this is, this is a good way to go back to basic and think about, you know, what did, what does a mother do for her kid? What does, what did my mom do for me that worked and what didn't work? Because, you know, mothers are perfect or imperfect. Most of the time they do some things right and something you know, not so right. But you remember by virtue of being a kid, you remember what felt good and what did not feel good. So you can extract the learnings from that and, and apply that to your leadership approach. And I think it's a good, basic, sound way to to do things where you you adapt to people, you adjust, you customize your approach, and uh, you're there for uh, encouragement and, and feedback and uh, and, and they're, they're just so many things. I mean, I have 21 chapters in the book and I talk about every single one of these uh, similarities between the two. Yes. And and something I, I love that you brought up was, you know, there is no manual, at, like, you know, what to expect when you're expecting kind of thing. Uh, there's a ton of books out there now on leadership, like your first leadership job is a good one. Uh, but when it comes to actually applying these things, like, you know, the theory sounds great. You know, even my own framework tent, it's like, sounds great. Uh, but it's like Mozart, easy to start, uh, very easy to also mess up. It's, it's, a challenge to find the concrete examples and, and learn from those mistakes. And, and the best way to learn is to make those mistakes quickly, recover from them. Uh, one of the things I love about your book, Manage Like a Mother, is all throughout the book, you have what looks like these quotes from a mother to daughter. Is, is that the case? And Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to, the initial idea behind this was to show that mothers, regardless of where they come from, what culture they're from, what country or nationality they're from, they all have their own unique way to pass on their values and insights to their children. So I appealed to about 50 of my friends uh, from all over the world, and I asked them, what is one quote, one thing your mom would keep telling you all the time that has stayed with you and that you use in your leadership in your job every day that you think of often. And what came back was really funny. I mean, some are, are very funny, some are very profound, some are classic uh, mother's you know, quotes. And I decided to put them in the book just to, you know, they don't always tie with the content uh, of the book, but it's kind of fun and it shows you that uh, in their unique way, moms always have a lot of wisdom to share and they never fail to do that. And, and that's what I felt, and that's what I took away from seeing that. Like, uh, it, it was that that running theme, manage like a mother, and here's a mother passing on wisdom to a child. But it, it almost sounded like this was the child who's now grown up 
recalling something that mom would say all the time. And, um, and maybe it, especially when I, it took me a while to get there because it wasn't until I got to the chapter where you share about the stories that your mom shared with you about life, about her upbringing and how those have left an impression on you. Um, how important is storytelling, uh, for either a parent to their child, but also from a leader to their team? Storytelling. Well, well, we we obviously coming from a you know sixteen years of experience working with Disney, and and obviously between my husband and I, we have forty one years working for the Disney company, which is renowned for its storytelling ability. We know that when you tell a story, you connect emotionally with people, and when people are connected emotionally, they remember it. It makes it more relatable. It makes it more memorable. And then you can extract the learning, remember the learnings. And when, when you remember it, you can apply it and you can remember those lessons. So, and, and it is more entertaining. And, and my mom, I tell a story in the book of her childhood and how she grew up. And my mom was born in 1932. She's now 91 years old and she is a personality. She's a character. And she's behind most of the, the the reasons why I wrote that book. Because when I started thinking about the analogy between being a mom and being a leader, and I started reflecting upon what I've learned from my mother, and her sharing those stories of her childhood growing up during World War II, I mean, they were it, it was just, um, for me, it, it gave me the, the, the impulse I needed to write the book. And I grew up, the other thing too is I grew up, hearing my mom saying, I wish I was 20 and I knew what I know now. <laughs> and I remember rolling my eyes, you know, when I was a teenager going, oh, great. And then now she still says it today, by the way. And now I feel like her. And I'm, I feel that, you know, in my 50s, I've learned a lot. I've had a lot of failures, some success. I've, in any case, I've learned a lot of lessons. And, you know, boy, I wish I was 20 and I knew how to be a leader. In my 20s, I became a leader. I had no idea what I was doing, none whatsoever. So if now I could share what I've learned through you know, a 30-year career and share it with maybe young professionals, whether men or women, by the way, because like I said earlier, even if you're not a mom, even if you're not a woman, you can reflect back on what your mother has taught you and what your mother, how your mother would handle situations. And sometimes she did it well, sometimes not so well, but you can take those learnings with you and think about what fell right. You know, if your mother was holding you accountable for something, but she had not set the expectations clearly, you remember how it felt. And therefore that should help you remember to set the expectation clearly for the people who work with you on your team so that there's no misunderstanding, so that the outcome, it, it turns out to be the way you want it to be. So those are all really important learnings. They're very basic, by the way. You know, I did not reinvent the wheel. All I'm saying is, here's a different way, a lens uh, through which you can look at management, at leadership, and then you can learn from that. And it's it's something everybody relates to because we all have a mom. So there we go. Yeah. And, you know, just for me to take a moment to nerd out, everybody, uh, 
the, the reason why storytelling is so impactful is this, this nerdy little phrase called neurocoupling. I just learned about it a couple of weeks ago, which is why I'm excited about it. Uh, so it turns out when you're telling a story and some scientists have done neuromapping, like, you know, they put little scanners on your brain to see what parts of the brain are activating when you can tell a story. Uh, and it turns out there are certain areas of your brain that get activated when you tell a certain type of story. Well, if you tell that story long enough and it connects and resonates with your audience, it turns out the brain scans of the audience, their brain has the same areas activated as the speaker. And it's in that moment when both the speaker, the storyteller and the audience have clicked. And, and one of the great things about stories is they add that human slash emotional element to the, the facts of the situation. And, and so I know, I know there's some leadership consultants out there that say like when it comes to conflict, you want to separate the facts from the story. Yes, that has a role. However, you want to also drive people to a place, a common area, a common place, a common goal. The stories do that. And, uh, then also, as you were talking, you, you brought up a great point of, you know, your mom didn't just share all the things that she did well or that her parents did well. She also shared all the things that didn't go so well. And I, I, it made me think about the times when a leader was vulnerable with me. Like I made a mistake. I was expecting to get lambasted and in trouble. And instead, the leader said, you know what? I can see you're beating yourself up about this. I made the same mistake when I was at your point in your career. Uh, and it it cost us three times as much. And, uh, <laughs> so I learned from it and you're learning from it now. And we, we look at this as tuition, you know, our company just spent some tuition on you and, uh, you've, you're going to learn from it and we're going to learn from it. We're all going to grow and this will be fine. And when they shared that with me, like you made that mistake too. And it wasn't like a permission to always go back and make this mistake. It was this, we got some commonality here and, and I love that about storytelling and, um, and then you take it a step further, even sharing how, you know, telling these stories helped to start to build a culture, like it built a culture within your family. But then when you took that and, and applied it in the workplace, you also started to build like a team culture upon the, the Disney yeah. culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, again, storytelling is just something that's, and, and maybe that I'd be curious to go back to my kids and said, you know, what are the things you, you remember? What are the things you think you've learned from, from me? And uh, I actually did ask my daughter, and yeah. there's, a, there's a quick uh, story in there when I asked her, I said, what have you learned from me? And she said, well, I learned that if I put my bare feet on the lap of my uh, boyfriend or husband and I wait long enough, I will get a foot massage. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? This is what you remember. Of anyway, all the lessons I taught you. <laughs> we, we have not had that conversation with my sons, and, and, and I need to go there and find out. Uh, what do they remember the most? Uh, that'd be interesting. But but rejecting, you know, this is something, an exercise that maybe parents should do. You know, what is it you, uh, what is it you remember? What what's stuck with you? So it it gives you some ideas of where you need to, you know, change things and adapt and customize a little bit. I think this there's one chapter in there I talk about communication in general, <clears throat> and I say uh, mothers always say, "What did I just say?" Mm-hmm. You've yes. ever had your mom tell you, what did I just say? So usually they say this because they've been saying, repeating the same thing a couple of times and, and then it kind of lost in the, you know, in space. Nobody's responding. And the mom gets exasperated and, and then she's like, okay, what did I just say? But there's actually a reason behind it. Mom wants to make sure that not only you heard her, but you understood what she said. And I think that's a great learning for leaders because often we broadcast communication 
and we just assume because we've sent out a message that it's been received. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not received the way it was intended. Sometimes it's not understood. So the the only way you're going to make sure that the, the cycle, because communication is in a loop, so the only time you're going to remember how, you know, if, if the communication has, has indeed been received and understood the way you want it to be, is to go and ask people, what did I just say? What What did you understand from this? And we don't do that enough as leaders. We don't go and talk to the person who's at the other end of the pipeline and say, what did you you know, understand from this new procedure, this new initiative, or what we, you know, why did you, do you understand why we're trying to do this? Getting that back and forth, that two-way communication is extremely valuable to leaders. And it's unfortunately not something that has a KPI attached to it. So we kind of push it aside. But this, if you can do that regularly, you're going to find how many communication breakdowns are taking place and then you can fix it you can you know make sure you provide context or you you provide interpretation to the message so that you get the right kind of of communication and and i think that's that's something that leaders can't do enough of yeah yeah and they almost rely on well i sent you an email it's like what (laughs) when two minutes ago you expect me to read that already I, i was working on this uh you know in the military we call it the back brief you know it's where the the, the leader of the mission has briefed everybody and then they'll just ask people at random, what are we doing at this time? What are we doing at this? What happens after this step? And uh, and that's to make sure everybody is tracking that they know all the steps of the mission. Uh, healthcare started doing this much more regularly as part of what they call the, pace, the patient discharge. So before the patient goes home and the care provider is about to send them home, you know, Care providers used to just say, well, here's a sheet on this. And, and I know hospitals and clinics that still do this. And it's like, if you want to do it right, uh, do, don't skip uh, over the step because it boosts um, patient safety and outcomes so much more. And that is after you've provided all the information, you have the patient tell you in return, hey, so tell me again, what do you understand about taking that medication? And and just be quiet. Let them tell you. And you know, they'll tell you like, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to take it like four times in one day. And you're like, oh, uh, no, you, you take four tablets once a day. And, and so you're able to course correct them. And so, so how many tablets again? Four tablets. How many times? Once a day. I don't know of any medication that you have to do that. But if you did, that, that would be the example. <laughs> or, you know, when are you supposed to come in to get checked up? Oh, in two weeks, I call this number and I ask for, you know, Johnny Ray, uh, the, the nurse up front and, and he'll take care of me. Yes. Uh, yeah, and so just having them tell to you back what what is this step, what is that step, and and it's turned out that that has helped improve patient outcomes. Uh, you know, in parenting, it helps understand. Okay, my child does understand what needs to happen, uh, so there's much more accountability there. Like that child knows that my mom knows that I know that step, so I need to go get that done. And and the same works with our teams. If we take the time to to just let them tell you what what is it you understand that we need to do at this point, and, and let them tell you and I think they take on a greater sense of ownership too when that happens. And I love that you mentioned that in, in your book. It's, it's one of the many tips that are provided in this book. There's, you know, there's another thing around this is the more you, you tell a story around you and, and you fill in the gaps during communication and you set great expectations, the more you, you bring, you explain the why. And th- there is a chapter around this where, you know, making sure your, the people who work on your team understand the context or the value of what they do. It's, I always say that leadership is like 
having you you deliver a product or a service and it's like a big puzzle and every single person on your team owns a piece of the puzzle and when you do puzzles and the piece is missing it's glaring right there's that big hole in the middle and it shows that it doesn't matter what piece it is it it can ruin the whole product or the whole experience so making sure that people understand the value of what they do how important it is and no person has a bigger piece of the puzzle than another one. They all matter. And that is part of the responsibilities of, of the mother. You need to make sure when you ask something of your kids, they understand the context or the reason behind it. Or the same with the team. That's what they do or they what they're being asked to do, but it contributes to the big picture, to the big puzzle. And when you can do that effectively, and storytelling helps you do that, communicating effectively helps you, helps you do that. Um, Setting expectation clearly helps you do that. And now people understand the value of what they do. And people in life, you know, they, they want to work for money. We all want to pay the bills, but they all want to be relevant and they want to be part of the team. And when you do all this, now you're conveying that. And, and now you have people who are motivated, they engage, they're loyal to your organization because they feel they matter. Yes, exactly. That sense of ownership goes a long way when it comes to engaging employees. They, they, they want to feel that connection to what the greater purpose is to the company, uh, as well as connection to their leader, a connection with their coworkers, and feel that growth. You know, like as they're trusted with more responsibilities, they feel like they're growing. Like I, I'm ready for the next level of my career. I don't know what that is, but I know who I can go to to get more advice, and maybe that's my leader. Um, I, you know, like any other cockerel I've spoken with so far, I could do this forever, <laughs> but we're running out of time. I, I, the book, again, is Manage Like a Mother, um, and it's uh, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom. Uh, now, guys, this doesn't mean this didn't apply to you. I said it at the beginning in the intro. I'm saying it here now. We've said it all throughout the episode. Uh, this could also be the wisdom of dad. You know, the, the more connected you are with your family, your kids, you'll draw these same lessons too. And, and if you don't have that going on right now, Now's the time to start planning. You know, how do you, how do you get to spend more time with your kids during the work week? So, uh, any final words of wisdom before we go, Valerie? No, I hope, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about, uh, you know, the book is not, I was really concerned that, uh, it would be perceived as a woman's book, um, or mother's book. And I, I called it managed like a mother because obviously the reality is in our generation, the vast majority of us have been brought us not exclusively, but primarily by our mothers. Uh, now things are changing for the better. I'm really happy that, to see that more men are more directly involved and uh, in the parenting their kids. Uh, the idea here is to make sure that you know you can learn either from your own experience as a mother or you or you learn from your experience as a child. And all these are very basic yet fundamental leadership competencies that you need to think about. If if you can get all of that done well, uh, you you're on the on the road to success. I think uh, because we're all human, it's all about human connection, human nature, and uh, that's what this this book is all about and how to build those connections and those relationships effectively. Awesome, Valerie. It was great to connect with you and have you on this show. Uh, I look forward to having you on again. Uh, and then Jordy, he's going to get competitive, so he'll, I'll have to have him on the show, I suppose. And and I haven't had Dan on twice. I've had Lee on twice. So, um, yeah. And then, of course, as your kids get older and start doing their things, uh, we'll have to get them on, too. <laughs> we'll, we'll send you the rest of the family. <laughs> right? <laughs> May as well. They're all doing great things. <laughs> 
Thank you, Jerry. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And thank you for having me on Beyond the Red. Now, I hope you took a lot of notes like I did. I mean, this whole conversation was actually from my notes on this book, plus what I know about the Cockrell family. Uh, again, I've known them for years because of this show, and it was just great to have a conversation with Valerie for the first time. Now, if you want more, check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 391. And, and there you'll find more information about her book, Manage Like a Mother. You'll find a link to her consulting firm where her and her husband, Dan, uh, go out and do speaking engagements and workshops to develop leaders. And I mean, there's plenty of work out there. So do I see this as a threat? Heck no. This is amazing. I, I love that they're out there doing this. They talk around customer service, customer service leadership, uh, all those good things, building culture. Uh, you'd be if your company can afford to bring them in, bring them in. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so check out the show notes. Again, that's beyondtherut.com slash 391. You won't regret it, guys. Uh, get out there and and also get a copy of her book, Manage Like a Mother by Valerie Cockerell. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, all the places where books are sold. Uh, get a copy, get a copy, get a copy. And after you've gotten a copy, get a copy for all your friends, your coworkers, the mom bosses you know, the dad bosses you know, the bosses you know. There we go. Awesome. Maybe you can even do a team uh, study off of this. So I'm just throwing all these ideas out there. Take the ones that make sense. uh, And there you go. Now, I'm glad you joined me for this episode. I look forward to joining you again on the next one. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showvian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.